Let's see, there's a member of this church who is often encouraging me to watch Charlie Rose on PBS because he has such great guests and interviews. And I always say to this person that I know it's a good show, but it's just when it's time for me to go to sleep. So I don't watch it very much. It's probably on some other time I could watch it. But for some reason, a few nights ago, or a week ago, uh, Charlie Rose, on his interview show on PBS, had the astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson on his show. And I'll bet you, you, many of you know something about this guy, Neil deGrasse Tyson, but I can tell you just a, a, a little bit. He's a very interesting guy. He's uh, articulate, he's smart, he's a kind of tall, good-looking African-American man. He's very enthusiastic about science. He's like a prophet. I don't mean that word in the traditional religious sense, but he, he really loves to tell people about science and how wonderful it is. And he, he's kind of infectious with that. He really gets people excited and thinking about science and thinking about the wonder of it all. So he's a fascinating guy. And he has said all kinds of interesting things, which I could certainly never do justice to this morning, but he said one thing that just really piqued my interest. And the more I thought about it, I just um, couldn't quite get it out of my mind. And I thought to myself, uh, that's something worth pursuing. So here's what he said. And I don't have the exact phrasing, but I'll tell it to you as I remember it, uh, Charlie Rose was asking him about how he came to be a scientist and about his childhood and, and what was it that uh, made him pursue this field so enthusiastically. And what Neil deGrasse Tyson said at one point, I don't have it exact, but I'm pretty close, he said, I felt the universe was calling me. That's what he said. I felt the universe was calling me. Now, I thought that was a pretty remarkable thing for him to say. It just was different from other things I've heard him say. And I thought, well, how would the universe call him? Would it be a text message? <laughs> would it be... Uh, on Skype, how exactly would the universe call to him? And they didn't get into a long discussion, but I'm pretty sure he did not mean it in a literal sense, but it's still intriguing because traditionally religious people often use this idea of being called to some kind of work, maybe ministry or some kind of service or teaching or something. But traditionally, the identified caller is God. As a matter of fact, it comes right up on the caller ID, God. <laughs> Hello, <laughs> this is God. <laughs> now, I know that Neil deGrasse Tyson is not a theist, so I'm pretty sure that's not the point he's making. So I'm pretty sure that's not it. But he did apparently experience a sense of calling, and the identified caller 
was the universe. And, you know, he may not have thought that. It just popped out, kind of, I think. So, just seemed to me a fascinating thing for him to say. We are living in an era of conflictual relationship between science and religion. I mean, really conflictual, I think. And it's certainly not the first time either. But not only is there conflict, but the quality of the discussion is not very inspiring. We're not having a great talk about this. What apparently is the big issue of the day is whether or not there is a God somewhere who created the universe. With science on one side, although many scientists believe in God, but many don't, the majority don't, at least in reference to some definition. So science is mostly on one side, and the other side really is creationism, which is at the moment, sort of representing religion. It's the out front point of view that is identified with religion right now, creationism. And the two, these two forces are locked in a truly unproductive and uninspiring conflict. As someone whose profession is called ministry and whose place of work is called a church, this for me is a depressing spectacle. It's just depressing, the quality of the conversation. Not all the conversation, but the conversation that's out there in the public eye. What a waste of time. And yet, I can sort of see that this drama needs to play itself out in our society, one of my worries is that by the time it is played out, religion will look so foolish in the public eye that a real dialogue will no longer be possible. That's one of my worries. So we'll see. But I'm interested actually in a better quality of dialogue. So I put some options in the latest builder as a kind of teaser for some different ways that one can look at this uh, God thing and where the universe came from and all those huge, huge questions. I thought we should have some options for looking at it with different eyes. And I want to tell you that looking at something with different eyes is such a great image for me right now because I just had cataract surgery. So I know that it's possible to look at something with different eyes. It really is possible to do that, especially if I close this one, but I won't do that. It can happen, friends and neighbors. Get yourself some different eyes. That's what I'm saying. So I thought I would go through some of these options um, just as a way of trying to frame what seems to me a better kind of dialogue. So the first option I, I threw out is really um, that there is a God somewhere in the universe and that this is a being that created the universe. This is really the traditional viewpoint. I'm going to be 
overly simplistic with some of these, but I mean, this is the traditional view. There's a God somewhere, and that God created everything. And I must say that many religious people might believe this point of view in various ways, in various levels of uh, being literal or symbolic. And so that's an interesting spectrum. We should not equate everyone who, who takes that point of view as being the same. But when it's taken as a literal truth, a factually accurate literal truth, then that's called creationism. And that's the group that right now is out front in the public eye representing religion, which I think is a very unfortunate thing. So, in a crisis, I would turn to a baseball metaphor. So, if the conflict between science and religion is like a baseball game, you don't have to accept that, you're a UU, but if it is, religion against science, then creationism is the pitcher that needs to be taken out of the game. <laughs> Do you see what I'm saying? Thank you. <laughs> yeah, just go out and take that pitcher out of the game. Give me the ball. You know, you're, you're, not, you're just not pitching well at the moment. It's not that you're anything wrong and you're not off the team. You're not going to hell. You just need to give me the ball. We got to get somebody else to pitch for a while. All right, I feel pretty good about that analogy. <laughs> so who should we bring in to pitch? There's a good question. Who, do we, who are we going to bring in to pitch now? All right. All right, so option two. Option two, the word God refers to nothing at all. It doesn't refer, there is no thing that stands behind that word. It's just a not, it's not, it doesn't exist. There is no such thing, okay? This is the position of some folks who are also in the public eye, most prominently, I think, Richard Dawkins, this is his position. It simply doesn't exist. There isn't anything behind that word. It's a mistake, actually. It's just a mistake. And actually, according to his view, there's some things that happened in the process of evolution that somehow lured us into making that mistake. And so we just went down the wrong road. We've been going down that road ever since, and now maybe we'll wake up. Although, since we're programmed by evolution, it's going to be tough to change it because we're, we're working that way. This is an increasingly popular point of view. So, it's an option. It's a live option. So, one question that comes up for me with this point of view is, what is it that human beings have experienced over millennia and going back farther into history in the development of humanity, what is it that people experienced that made them have this thought? So, I mean, that's, why did people come up with that thought? 
if it doesn't mean anything. And so what was the experiential situation? And there are various ways to look at that. And by the way, Mr. Dawkins has an explanation for that, which is worth reading. But so that's what would interest me is what experience did we have looking up at the stars or looking at the mountains or seeing the ocean or just being overwhelmed by the beauty of a sunset? What was the experience that led us to go down this road? So my personal sense is that when people either in the past or the present use the word God, they are at the minimum referring to some human experience. There's something that somebody experienced, and a lot of people apparently experienced it. And so it gave rise to this idea. And it seems to me that part of what happened was people were trying to grasp some aspect of life that's very hard to express, very hard to capture. And so maybe that's how that concept got going and boy, we could really, we could go down the road of this discussion for a long time. This is an interesting discussion, I think. What is it that we experienced in early development that made almost all of humanity come up with some ideas along these lines? So we're not, I can't go into detail, but we'll do it in adult RE. That would be the place to really work on this idea. All right, option number three so option number three is that what is called God is a product of the human imagination. We invented God. And this might fit very well with option two, by the way. It could work with option two, if you want. Except that the option three people who say God is a product of human imagination think that this something, even though it might be a product of our imagination, may still have value. In evolutionary terms, these people are called functionalists. It's just the idea that religion in general and God specifically has been something that has played a valuable role in human evolution, even though it might not be true in the literal sense that people have believed it to be true. It has worked in a strange way. It's held societies together. It's created order. It's provided a sense of meaning and purpose for people. And it's also provided ethical frameworks, even if from our present day perspective, some of these ethical judgments may seem to be totally off base. Still at the time, it provided some ethical framework. I have a friend, I'm not gonna say her name because I haven't asked her, but here's what she says. She says, Yes, human beings have created God. And now that we have created God, God exists. Okay, that's the argument. Well, that may seem like it doesn't make any sense, but there's all kinds of things that exist in the world that didn't exist before we came along and created them. We created the pyramids and they exist. We created democracy which is much more abstract than the pyramids, and now democracy exists. One that I like to discuss with uh, Matt Tim and other people sometimes is mathematics, and Matt agrees with me that mathematics is a product of the human imagination as well. 
And yet most of us would say that mathematics exists, but there aren't any, the mathematical objects don't exist in the empirical world. There's no point or no triangle, they're ideas. So there could be many things in our world that are real to us that are not, you know, they're created by us and yet we take them very seriously. So this is what my friend says. My friend says, yeah, we created God and there God is as a creation. So that's another way of looking at it. All right, option number four. Option number four is that God, or whatever we used to call God, is the universe itself. Is the universe itself. Or maybe some quality of the universe. Michael Dowd, who's the author of the book, Thank God for Evolution, and spoke here several years ago, is one of these people, by the way. And we had, when we had him, classes on him, it was, his book was absolutely fascinating to many of us. He says, that one can view the universe itself, or the multiverse, if, if you choose, as being God, and that evolution is how this God works. Now, he says that this is a choice. It's not anything you have, you don't have to believe that. It's fine if you don't. As a matter of fact, he and his partner, he describes himself as a theist, and she describes herself as an atheist, and they really believe exactly the same thing. You know, on the major points, there isn't any, there's no real difference except he says that we could look at the universe as being God and that if we did that and went back and looked at a lot of religious teachings, it would make sense. You know, in the beginning, evolution created the heavens and the earth. You just try that out for a while and see how that fits. So that would really be looking at it with new eyes. That would be looking at it with new eyes. There's another wonderful guy by the name of Thomas Berry, who at uh, one time was a priest, and he left the priesthood, and he became what he calls a geologian. He's a geologian. And uh, the way, way he says it is the universe itself is the primary religious text. The universe itself is the primary religious text. It's what we need to study and read and capture the wisdom of. So this, is a, this according to Michael Dowd and others, is, is a choice, but it's a choice that could make much of traditional religion make sense and can be reinterpreted in ways that work. So one of the, here's what intrigues me. If we take Michael Dowd's idea that the universe itself could be called God, or at least it could legitimately be looked at in that way, and then we go back to Neil deGrasse Tyson's statement that he felt the universe called him to become a scientist, so isn't that an interesting juxtaposition of events? And by the way, I don't want to pretend to speak for Neil deGrasse Tyson because that would be uh, totally unjustified, but I just want to play with how these thoughts come to points of intersection. 
or a point where real dialogue might take place, a dialogue that's respectful and intellectually honest. I see another one of those points of real intersection in Carl Sagan's statement that we are a way for the cosmos to know itself. That's another one of those places where there's an intersection of two worlds. Sagan himself said, science is not only compatible with spirituality, it is a profound source of spirituality. So what, ha what happens if we take away a point of view that doesn't seem to be working at all, the creationist point of view, although if, if you hold that point of view, it's fine with me, let's go, let's go get a latte and talk about it. What if we take that framework out and see what really interesting questions are really present after that. Another related possibility is that what we call God, what we used to call God and many still do, is an aspect of the universe. So for example, I would contend that creativity exists in the universe. I would, I'm willing to have that discussion, that creativity exists in the universe. To me, the creativity of the universe is self-evident. This is one I'll really sit down and talk to you about. The creativity of the universe is self-evident. Creativity exists. It's everywhere. I mean, there, look, there are flowers. There are flowers. There are planets, there are galaxies, there are butterflies. We're just surrounded by it. We're in it, right? Just like Neil deGrasse, it's, it's in us and we're in it. So I am intrigued by the notion that what we used to call God and many still do has its origin in this direct experience of the creativity of the universe. The Tao Te Ching says something very close to that. And it says even that it isn't aware of its greatness. It isn't even aware. So creativity doesn't have to be conscious. It doesn't have to be intentional. It isn't aware of its greatness, thus it is truly great. So it seems to me that one can look at those manifestations of creativity in a way that is spiritual. Feminine images of the goddess resonate with this too. The divine is a mother who brings forth life out of herself. It's a constant giving birth to new creatures. Creativity is a way of talking about the mysterious quality of the universe to bring forth an endless stream of new and fascinating creatures. Option five is all the other options we haven't thought of. Maybe the creativity of the universe is a spider. That could be it. Maybe it's something like the Tao. 
What really intrigues me is to have a genuine dialogue between science and religion that's not sort of just stuck. Not anywhere. This, by the way, is one of the things that excites me about the Parliament of the World's Religions because that's a place where this happens. It's, it's real, honest-to-goodness dialogue. And so that excites me tremendously. The dialogue that's going on now is not helping the world or a country, but there are real possibilities for meaningful dialogue. One of the things that has become clear to me from watching people like Neil deGrasse Tyson and others is that no theory of meaning will long survive that, is, that directly contradicts science. That won't work. No theory of meaning will survive long-term if it directly contradicts science. And so, as our culture moves forward in seeking to create a sustainable and joyful life on Earth, our worldview will need to include science and heed its call. And yet, take the elements of wisdom available from other stories. You know, there are moments where there just isn't any study to consult. The moment when you think you're in love. The moment maybe when you know you're going to die. There are times, you know, the moment when you say, should I speak up? Should I take a stand? There, it doesn't mean that science doesn't have anything to say about those, but those are there are moments when we have to respond with our subjective sense of reality. And those things will not go away. And so we need, we need every point of view we can find. We need them all. There are real questions to talk about, including our response to climate change, the increasing danger of weaponry, the scourge of poverty, the moral questions of human rights and wealth concentration. We need all the resources of humanity to confront those issues. Neil deGrasse Tyson talked briefly about his concern that the best computer minds Many of the best computer minds in our culture are, in his words, uh, making apps that really don't do much for the world at all, but create various kinds of games and ways to conduct business more quickly. And he challenged those people who have that powerful so those powerful scientific minds to actually work on the problems that are pressing right now. To work on climate change and poverty and human rights and inequality and the seriousness of the prospect of war. And so we need all the resources of humanity to confront these issues and we'll have to take what is most truly wise from every source available, every source available, including the world's great religions. I hope we will be a place where that real dialogue 
can take place. And so that we will play a healing role in our world. In the world of, in the words of Carl Sagan, we are star stuff which has taken its destiny into its own hands. May we do so wisely.